0: Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. We have a very special episode this week, and this month we're talking about all about delivering high-impact solutions. This week, we've got Vasal Shaw from Litmus, the show. Vasal. thank you for, uh, for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Vlad. It's great to be here and listen to you guys every week, and very glad to be here. Thank
2: you. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time to us, to talk to us this morning. all before we dive into the technical topics, I wanted to get a little bit more of a background. How did you get started in, in your career? What was your journey like in manufacturing automation and ultimately what brought you into starting Litmus?
1: Okay, that's, yeah, it's a long question and long answer, but I'll get started. My career started as as an industrial automation engineer. I was the one who was designing PLC logic, leader logic and SCADA screens. I was installing doing FAT and UATs on the plant. That was my first job out of my bachelor's, my my university days. Did work on on various food and beverage, a couple of oil and gas and other customer projects. Essentially, I used to take, read the PID diagrams, try to replicate the logic on the uh, PLC side and try, try to copy paste the, the SCADA screens from, from previous references. But that was the starting year. One thing during working on that, one thing that, that I personally saw is there was a growing need of heterogeneous environment, and there was a growing need of data coming out of those heterogeneous environments for, for the team of four engineers. Uh, it took us more than 3 months time frame to integrate rockwell siemens and some of the yokogawa system together and push data into a single a single sql server database so again of course we used all the fancy tools in between and wrote some excel vbs scripts as well to transform the data but like starting from that the idea was we wanted to create one platform which can talk to every control systems or every industrial system that may, that might be hardware system or software system out there and try to bring data to much smarter systems in, in matter of seconds or matter of minutes. We were ambitious to begin with. We didn't know what we were up against, but that's how the company, and that's how the day zero got started. Uh, and a lot of smart people joined o- over a long period of time from a manufacturing industrial background and where we are right now is really that common data layer, which is powered by industry-led computing.
2: If and- I can ask you, Vatsal, like, I'm really curious on the early days of Litmus. I think that as <laughs> an engineer, we sometimes underestimate what it takes to bring a product to market. So I'm curious, what was your like initial MVP, if you want to call it that, that customers saw value in and wanted to try, right? Because I think that the goal of getting all the data is extremely ambitious. And I think we all understand the complexity of the production floor, but I'm curious, what did you start with very early on just to demonstrate a proof of concept
1: very early on? So I think I jump into MVP, but let's say in early days, John, who is my co-founder and I, we were trying to reach out to early customers, which is just trying to ask them if this is the idea that you will ever purchase. And this is the idea that we got, I would say. 90% 90% of them, they called us, yeah, this is never going to work. That was the first, uh, the, 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 those were the first six months, which is continuous rejection that, yeah, you guys are too small. You, are, you don't know what you are going to do, or you are going against historians. You are going against this company and that company. So it was always there, but like we kept on understanding the requirements. We kept on asking them why it will not work. And we tried to try tried to build or craft the product and stories around it. It's always a chicken and egg problem unless you have the first customer, which is large enough or marquee customer. You're never going to get your second customer. MVP was uh, that MVP was just crazy. It's like, nobody will ever buy it and don't blame them. That MVP was idea was we are going to build all the drivers and sure, So that was my credit card and I purchased control logic system at day zero. That was the, that was initially and what we did. And then tried to create a protocol driver which was streaming data to our central cloud platform directly. So our MVP was not Edge. Our MVP was a cloud platform, which was interesting. Uh, and we were giving our edge for zero dollars. Seriously. Our, our edge platform was no cost. It's like we want to bring all the data to cloud environment. That was MVP. And in two years in the making, we shifted our cloud first strategy to edge first strategy. That was a big we for the company because customers started asking, oh, your free product is all I need. I don't know. I don't need your cloud product. I just need your, all the drivers that you have, Lad, everything that you have in your back wall, like for example, you're like, we have the same in our Santa Clara office, which is like a wall of 1970s up to this point, every control system that we can purchase, we've already purchased it. Customers wanted those drivers and protocols for free. And that, that made us change the business model, which is, okay, if everybody wants the edge-first approach, we might as well create edge product rather than cloud product. And that is why we are here. So where we started MVP, that was more like learning exercise. Where we are right now is amazing product market fit.
2: Why was there such a hesitance the cloud? And do you see that being a little bit... L- do you see them being a little bit less hesitant on the cloud side in general in manufacturing nowadays than when you were getting started? A
1: huge shift. And um, like in 2015, 16 type of time frame, the cloud was still early. The technologies, the privacy policies that they had, security controls that they had, they were very, very naive, or they were at that infancy at that point. They All the cloud vendors, or hyperscalers, they invested aggressive amount of money over the last six, seven years to build trust with their customers and partners. And right now, the customers, they are less hesitant for going to cloud than 2016. But technologies have matured, their processes, their business models, security layout, the general architectural posture has improved a lot. So yes, there was a lot of hesitation before. And giving your data to a small company pushing data to cloud, that was not a smart idea to begin with. (laughs) Sure.
2: Dave, thoughts?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting. I, especially in the 2013 to 2017 range, also experienced cloud hesitancy, as we can call it. If we want to be nice, most of the time it's, uh, heck no. We're never going to go leverage cloud on the manufacturing floor because it's something different than what we have done in the past i am happy to see more of that adoption now i guess Vatsal, my my one question for you is you've walked around the kind of beginnings through mvp through edge of litmus in today if someone is looking for litmus or if we've got listeners who are like hey i don't know what litmus is what litmus edge offers what what is the best way to answer you guys at litmus are now is your platform and the services that you guys offer Sure.
1: Litmus as a company, we are industrial edge computing software back. Our software is deployed in on the plant floor. Our software is installed on the level two and a half, three of the, of the Purdue model. We collect data from every industrial systems out there. We develop native protocols and drivers to Rockwell, Siemens, Omron, Yokogawa. doesn't matter. We have the highest amount of coverage. Vendor number two is one of the legacy OPC UA server. Them and few others combined, they still can't match up with us. So we got Gosh. the highest amount of connectivity in the industrial system. Now, once we started collecting data, the de- next step it came was normalization or contextualization of the data right at the edge. So in this simple web user interface, as soon as we collect the data, we normalize it, we contextualize it. Then we added workflow engine, where then we added analytical system, then we added machine learning or container system, and then we push data into cloud or any other system that they are looking for. So we are this software platform that enables data-driven innovation journey for users. Collect, process, analyze, integrate all of the plant flow data in an air gap first, offline first environment. When they are ready, they go to cloud.
0: Interesting. Okay. I love that. I feel like that is certainly a solution that is needed, especially if we can offer it edge first, air-gapped first. That solves many kind of legacy struggles that I have seen of groups that are hey we want to go leverage a piece of technology but we are unwilling or unable to to go connect it in, into the cloud or into the internet in general to go leverage that so i think that's very interesting and then i guess i'd love to know today do you guys have like a target customer if we've got people listening saying hey that sounds really interesting are you guys talking to every market every vertical are there certain sizes of companies that that fit litmus best what does that look like for you today
1: so today we are deployed widely deployed throughout the world north america emea and asia pacific markets in general we have a large amount of installation. there are 2.8 million endpoints connected with our systems right now. And we are in the market directly, plus partnership with specific OEMs, uh, They white labelers, we are in the market with hyperscalers and we are in the market with system integrator network as well. Like uh, pretty much covering a broad spectrum of use cases where we shine in the ascending order, I would say like we have a good footprint in automotive tier one, our automotive customers. And the second one goes in food and beverage third one goes in high tech electronics assembly mm-hmm. recently pulp and paper chemical biopharma more going towards process as well we are really good on a discrete or hybrid installations because mm-hmm. they have large amount of heterogeneous assets throughout the plant floor mm-hmm. and when you have distributed assets when you have mm-hmm. a, a heterogeneous environment for different types of assets you can install litmus edge in a multiple different networks consolidate all the data because we collect and normalize and bring it to the central environment. So in discrete and hybrid environment, we shine right away in process industry. Yes, we are learning. We are growing in the market with, with partner portfolio.
0: Absolutely. So one w- I love this too, I'm going to take Vlad's next question of, oh my goodness, that sounds awesome. I would like to go spend six hours to get a demo and remind yeah. everyone that we will be at Hanover in a couple of weeks. If you guys are interested in some live demos, come on over to Hall 17, Booth F18 CI. I remember it now because I've said it so many times. (laughs) And uh, come check out. There's a bunch of live demos. If you guys are going to be there, we will be building with Vatsal and Dayside. We'll be doing some live builds that we, assuming we've got internet connectivity, will be streaming to you guys, our listeners, so that you guys can see as we go and build some of these solutions to get an idea of what that looks like. I will say that if we have technical questions beyond that, there's a high probability we can get Vatsal and someone from his team on in order to give us maybe a bit better of a demo at a later point in time. Having said that, we promised people applications and solutions, right? We we build this as how to deliver high impact solutions. It certainly sounds like you guys have the platform to be able to do that. Do you have a good example or two that maybe we could talk through to, to hear how people can leverage the Litmus platform to go deliver those solutions and how they can go deliver those solutions quickly.
1: Sure. Time to value across different use cases is one of the, one of the biggest priority that we have, or one of the fundamental principles that we have. What we we tell our customers that within first one hour, you are already connected to all of your assets on the plant floor. Within one day, you are already analyzing that data. Within one month, you are already deriving KPIs or ROI out of the platform. So what we learned, like as soon as we launch a platform or a feature or a product, we get in front of customers and we ask them how they are using the product, how they are, how like what different use cases that they're exploring. And like we had a continuous learning over the last three to four years where we go back to them for asset performance monitoring use cases, some of the predictive maintenance use cases, recently machine learning driven predictive maintenance. So there are modern use cases, which are driven by augmented reality, some cloud connected MLOps workflows, there are more and more use cases, which are opening up. But to mention about solutions itself, there are vertical specific solutions that we have seen that are successful in the market. And then there are horizontal solutions, which are very successful in the market as well, there, there are both sides of the ecosystems that they exist right now. But how do we go about building it? We do start with the product first approach. So our largest customer, our smallest customer, they're using the same version of our product. So everybody gets the same foundational layout. Like customers, they get started with low, low investment, high impact type of use cases. What are those? It's they have a lot of different assets and they, wanted to cre- they want to create a specific alerts on specific scenarios. Those alerts might be coming out of those assets of PLC variables, DC drives, robotic systems. They start creating the workflow after understanding that data. And they create their visualizations, they create the alert workflow, they create the whole journey to cloud. And once they have it for a specific asset, they like to scale it up to multiple different sites, multiple different assets in, in, in general. So, those asset performance monitoring type of use cases enabled at scale, it's extremely low hanging fruit. Then once they have enough data, they start going towards more complex use cases. They might be workflow or light soft manufacturing type of workflows or converting all their scheduling scheduled maintenance into predictive maintenance workflows. Those are extremely high impact. But it does require subject matter experts to spend time on the top of data because you can't just build it out of the box for every production line out there. So we bring all the data, we give them tools which are called ready analytics, and then they bring those specific workflows. Then we go one step further, which is energy monitoring, energy usage reduction type of use cases, quality assurance use cases, wastage reduction use cases, inventory and supply chain use cases. So once you have access to the data, almost everything is bolted on the top of it. And that's how we have built repeatability inside, inside our platform. And of course there are vertical specific solutions, but these are more horizontal solutions, which are repeatable across customers. It's a journey.
2: That's all I'm interested in a number of things, but I guess, let me ask you like a first question on the architecture side, right? So you've mentioned that you're a software first platform, which means to me, at least you can deploy that on any type of, I'm assuming Linux machine, right? So it's going to be either like a rack mounted server at the facility, or it Can it go as low as, let's say, like a Raspberry Pi or like an IPC? Like what what does that look like? And then ultimately my again, like assumption based on what you've described, you typically set it up on, let's say, the IT side. It still needs access to the OT infrastructure and then it has a connection or a funnel still to the cloud where you can do some processing, some visualization as well. What does the infrastructure that you set up typically look like?
1: One thing that we realized early on is every network and every plant floor is different. It's not a greenfield environment. Sometimes they, they have a network which they purchase from Best Buy. <laughs> they purchase this <laughs> and they install it on the plant floor. We actually see the same IP address five times on a plant floor, which is 192.168.1.100 is my Rockwell PLC. And it has been a common practice. When customers are scaling up so fast, their network is the list of their concern to begin with, which is, let's just go and put our mechanical assets and network will follow. So uh, to answer your question, we had to go on a deployment agnostic model. So we can deploy it as a virtual machine. Now, when we go on customer side, oh do you support Oracle VirtualBox? Or do you support Microsoft Hyper-V or do you support this XI cluster that we have? Our answer had to be yes and yes, because everybody brought something else. Then in the, the, then there are. Customers, they have a very non-centralized networks, which is decentralized networks, which is more, there is one router here, one router here, one router here. So they started installing gateways and we had to say, yes, we will develop full support for any x86-64 gateways out there, Dell, HPE, and everything else. And in recent times, Kubernetes has revolutionized a whole lot of deployment models. So. Now we also run as a container. We have to run as a Kubernetes Helm chart as well or Kubernetes script itself. So it's just deployment agnostic completely can start from like hundreds of course Xeon all the way to small Raspberry Pi type of computing. power. Um, gotcha. gotcha. so the sorry, go ahead. No, it just took a long time for us to settle down on every deployment scenario out <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And so if I was, let's say I'm a small manufacturer, mid-sized manufacturer, I come to you guys and I ask you, I would like to test this out, see if it, if it is a good fit for our facility, does it involve me setting up the platform? Can I just buy any hardware that let's say you recommend on your website or that runs Linux and I can set that up myself? Or do you usually use integrators that come in from your side or from partners that come and install the system? What does the rollout process look like?
1: Yeah, it's like we have been continuously investing in a self-serviceable infrastructure. Customers, they can get started on their own, just download the virtual machine and run it in in the environment that they have. They don't even have to pick up the phone to talk to us. We also introduced a live chat support recently, which is if they have a question, concern, if they have something, just go talk to somebody and they're going to answer your questions right away. We are trying to to make it more and more self-serviceable for the whole end to end scenario. So system integrators, they are there to scale up the project. Once you have one site, you want to scale it up to hundred sites system integrators and their humongous resources will help for initial ones. It's self-serviceable and we are like, we have some exciting announcements to make in the upcoming week as well. We are launching central portal where customers, they can, without even talking with us, they can just go deploy a sandbox environment, or they can deploy or they can download our products. They don't have to get in touch with us. Just sign up, completely self-serviceable
2: workflow. I could certainly appreciate that I yeah. can, as an engineer. If I could ask you on the customer side, do you see them struggle with data deployments? And what I mean by that is we talked about their networks being a little bit, quote unquote, questionable. A lot of times I know that they're missing, let's say, key instrumentation, right? So they have maybe a PLC on the machine, but they want to track what's coming in, what's coming out. So they need to do modifications, maybe also people not being ready to deploy something like this, right? So they need to purchase maybe some server hardware, which I know in some situation can be a Raspberry Pi, but usually should be something better. So I'm curious if you have some back from them or questions or concerns with what they need to do in order to get a data solution like this going.
1: Yeah, one of, the, one of the first thing that, that we do recommend is to understand what assets do they have and what type of connectivity that they provide. Whatever software does is as soon as you open up the web user interface, you will have just one plus button. If you click that plus button, it will ask you IP address and the variables that you want to pull out of that control system. As long as those two variables, they are known, it pretty much it's a simplified workflow. For mid-size customers, that what we have seen is they still have to do some, some deeper uh, discussion or like they do have to identify what assets and what do they represent and how are they going to get access to that? For large customers, normally it's well-documented process, which is they already have most of the times, those variables, PLC tags, uh, IP address information, the net- network posture analysis was already done. So th- there is a little bit better state. What they have to prepare is identify the assets, identify the connectivity and rest is on us.
2: Dave, thoughts, comments?
0: I have to quote Vlad, I've got many thoughts and comments out here, but no, I guess one, this seems very exciting. Let me go back to the comment about self-serve self-use that you were saying, that's all I think you said that many times you'll have a customer and for the single site, they will come in, download either trial or they'll go buy a license and go build it themselves. I have lived on the build it themselves from virtually every angle. I've lived on it from the systems integrator coming in to say, Hey, you guys have built something, but maybe you didn't follow best practices. Last year I lived with a client as we were going through and doing a self build with someone who, with a group that first wasn't litmus, but certainly did not give us enough structure or anything along those lines. And I have seen on the other side of people going and taking a low code, no code platform and going and creating some good opportunities. But I look at it and I'm like, you guys left so much low hanging fruit there. So having said all of that, I think one, being able to showcase and have that, you guys can go roll this out yourself if you like to, is absolutely great. And I think we will continue to see more and more companies being forced to offer those because that's what end users want. But on that side, Do you see lots of end users being able to easily leverage the Litmus platform in order to go find those big gains? Or do you find many times people come in, see that there is huge opportunity here, and then maybe go talk to Litmus, maybe go talk to one of the partners to come in and help them find the rest of that ROI and those opportunities?
1: Sure. The idea would be, yes, so you're 100% right. There is a growing trend right now from small teams in very large corporations, which are more digital transformation, the operations management, CIOs team, data science team, they want to be completely self-serviceable, which is dealing with five different vendors at the same time. They can't pick up and talk to all five vendors when they are realizing their project. So believe in everything must be documented, everything must be available to me right now, (laughs) and everything must be available in an environment which is where I can go ahead and get started. There's an extremely growing trend on that side. And second, we have such such a huge demand from the market. We, as we have limited hours in a day, our account executives, they have limited hours in a day, why restrict ourselves? So the self serviceability is more and more opening up. We did invest on, on three key sides of it. The first one is distribution. So if somebody wants to try it, it's like central.litmus.io. We are going to announce it next week, but now I just announced it on the manufacturing hub podcast. But if somebody goes to central.litmus.io, sign up, and you will be able to deploy a sandbox environment right now within before this this webinar is and podcast is over. That's that's our distribution mechanism. We solved it for somebody who wants to just buy it, or somebody who just wants to try it for 15 days, or somebody wants us to host a virtual machine for them. We are paying it to cloud companies, but we host it for them for sandboxing environment. So that's distribution. The second one has to be that the principle for product-led growth really pushes us into making product well-documented and have a customer success team ready in a way that they can help customers where they are. A lot of documentation, plus we we have introduced solutions marketplace in in the central portal itself that allows customers to download solutions. So if you have a FANUC system and you you don't want to discover all the variables out of it, Just go ahead and download Fanuc template. It will collect data from CNC systems. So the second thing that we heavily invested in is understanding horizontal and vertical specific use cases and make it live for zero dollars for everyone. And the third, so customer success and like ready availability of solutions was the second investment that we did. And the third one that we are actively investing in is more like the product needs to be available in a way that it is like throughout the whole journey of the customers from initial connection, processing, analytics, and integration, all of those components have to be self-serviceable as well. So in product help, in product improvement of user experience was heavily invested from our side as well. Combining all three of this distribution and knowledge transfer and like throughout the product help itself, I think we are ready for self-serviceable. Of course, business models they had to align. We did that exercise as well. So again. That's just a broader, over the last one and a half years, we have been investing in a more self-serviceable distribution of our product. I hope that makes sense. Long way to answer it, but.
0: No, absolutely. I think we might lose Vlad for the rest of the show Vatsal because you just told him where he could go download a sandbox and he's just going to be clicking away on another screen for the rest of the time that we're here going and building and connecting the stuff behind him. So. I think that that's very exciting vlad what are your thoughts do you have thoughts on the self-service model do you have thoughts on other things that we want to get into before we, we go talk about some more solutions
2: i'm curious about data i guess contextualization once you get it into the platform right so that's how you probably know that machinery is built very differently even at the same manufacturer you could have the exact same machine built by two engineers so your tags are going to be different there's very little standards, I want to say, like in our space. So I'm curious as an end user that's looking to make sense of that data. And I hear this a lot from at least my conversations, it becomes difficult and time consuming to first get that data. And I think you've solved that problem. How do you make sense or maybe transform that data into something that you can then take action on? What does that look like on yeah. your side?
1: Uh, for sure. Don't even get me started on standards. They're non-existent <laughs> in
2: this world.
1: They are not I houses. hope they, w-
2: they will be made by someone, but I also don't see them, they're you know, yeah. very different uh, across companies.
1: Yeah, no, uh, uh, for sure. So again, just like what we had to do was like in 2018 timeframe, what we realized is a temperature coming from PLC number one or temperature coming from PLC number one, it's still temperature. Everybody struggles in creating a different format of the data itself. So we started normalizing this data in in, in a very earlier time frame, which is data coming across all of these different products, all of this industrial system has to look exactly the same. And that was the normalization piece that we developed almost five years ago now. What started happening was every asset is different, as you pointed. Panook might have more metadata available. Siemens, Sinumeric might have even further data available, or Robot might have different types of metadata available. So we created this metadata registry inside our product where every data point that you collect, so if you collect temperature, then you can attach what batch was it, what shift was it, or what what asset was it, or what line was it? You can attach those metadata in a dynamic way on every data point which is collected. Our JSON message that the temperature JSON message is augmented with a whole lot of other context information right at the edge so before it hits data lake before it hits any other analytical systems or machine learning system it has data which is key value timestamp plus metadata available as a part of it this is a very basic step that every vendor needs to take there are a lot of companies they try to create environment where data contextualization happens a little bit later in the pipeline but you still lose a lot of informations which were available at a plant level Now you cannot go back in time to acquire them in the first place. So this is what we do at the edge, which is collect the data, normalize it, but also augment it with a lot of metadata around it.
2: Interesting. When you talk about like a shift, I guess and batch information, can you pull that from an ERP or MES system or you have to like, is that manually entry? What does that look like?
1: Um, so yes, it can be automated. Everything that we do, we normally aim for scalability at Litmus. It's, it's the activities of adding metadata or metadata registry itself. It's dynamic. There is an API call, MES systems, they, they normally have the information on which batch, which product, which SKU that it is manufacturing. We can pull that data as a part of Litmus Edge and dynamically change the metadata inside the product by making API calls every time there is a shift change, there is a product change, there is a skew change, a line change. It has to be completely dynamic. And we also, I see that as a
2: big challenge. Sorry, yeah. sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, we, we had to introduce digital tweens layout for that as well. So that we introduced later last year, about 95% of our customers are using it right now, <laughs> just because there is so much need that th- th- there is a data information available, but I want to format that data in a way that I can use it in machine learning studios in the cloud, some of the modern AI algorithms in the cloud, or just visualization itself. So yes, Digital Twin was introduced to solve that challenge even further.
2: Interesting. I guess the problem that I've seen is that at least the companies I've worked with heavily standardize on SAP, right? And it becomes difficult for them to make the connection between SAP and some of these like newer data platforms and it becomes almost impossible to not have, it becomes impossible to have an automated way to, let's say, track a batch, track a shift, track like what's going on. So it really becomes a very manual process. So it's awesome that you guys are able to make those connections for sure.
1: Yeah. SAP is one of the, one of the very highly integrated SAP PICO and SAP MII. There are a lot of customers, they integrate our products to that. Their workflows, they are different. Sometimes they, they just want us to collect some context information. Sometimes they want us to push key, key value variables inside their environment, which is raw data, derived, analyzed data, push it in a way that they don't have to analyze any further, and the, the data sets is available inside SAP MIA environment or even further, like HANA database and more. But it's like we have to really do that, and every vendor has to do that if they want to do it for industrial IoT world. It has to collect data from the systems, which are, which are contextualizing that data in the first place.
2: Awesome. Are there any interesting, maybe I'm always curious about situations that a customer has used your, let's say solution for something that you didn't expect, right? That maybe was a little bit peculiar at first, (laughs) but oh yeah, now that you've explained it, it totally makes sense. Do you have any examples that you can maybe share with us? Again, obviously not mentioning customer names.
1: Countless times. Again, countless times I can say that, oh, why was it not documented? Or why didn't you tell me before? I, I just did it this way. And now you, you told me that um, we should have been doing this way. Yes, this is, a, this is the challenge that, that we come across almost every time. We are building the product for the first time. We are really disrupting and revolutionizing this industry. We took the product first approach. So we are always going to come across scenarios which are corner cases. And we listen to our customers and we try to resolve it. So to, to tell one of, one of them, which would be like a lot of customers, they, they start with the the easiest architecture possible. I will answer this easiest architecture in two different ways. But the first one is I want to just push data into cloud. So what are my avenues, which cloud vendor I'm using? I'm using Azure GCP or AWS, and then they will find OT product that those three vendors they have. One of them has iot hub iot core or pub sub the idea would be they start there and quickly they realize that it's so expensive to push plant floor data to cloud by using those specific mechanism it like we came up with a customer use case where they were spending close to forty thousand dollars a month forty thousand dollars a month to push four to five lines data to cloud they had large amount of variables that they were using for statistical analysis, but that is expensive, really expensive. So in in one of the, like this cost reduction journey that, that we found customers discovered, oh, if I use Kafka, if I use this Google PubSub environment, I might actually spend 5% of what I'm spending before, or even even less than that. And then it became a trend, which is why didn't you tell us before, why you let us do (laughs) the thing, which is. Easy, but it's going to be very expensive. It's more like discovering by themselves, which is once they hit the cost problem, they are going to shift to resolve those cost problem. And us being multi-tenant environment, a multi-cloud environment, where we push data to everyone, it, that journey is like five minutes of work. That's mainly on one. And then there is another one, a lot of companies or a lot of innovators in the market, they start with open source products. They start with something, let me just build everything by myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to, take one of this, no low code, low-code tool. I'm going to take this driver from GitHub and I'm going to take this visualization or this database and let me just combine everything. Um, fantastic. Again, please do that. That's the best way to get started to understand what that represents. But they soon realize that they are going to hit the wall that who's going to maintain this four vendor infrastructure 4 open source vendor infrastructure, they have to either invest or they have to replicate it in an environment like LitMassage. And when customers say that we are going to build by ourselves, we just mark in our Salesforce that this customer will come back a year later because once they realize (laughs) their ROI, they're going to come back to us. It's just a reality. And we try to guide them that, yes, it's fantastic to try it, but once you are ready to go scale up, we are here for you. And uh, this has been a trend and they always say, why didn't you tell us before that this will be challenges? It's like, we are keep on telling you, but (laughs) message doesn't go across.
2: I will make a comment before I, I let Dave jump in. There was a Reddit thread not too long ago where an engineer was asking about implementing a data machine learning and visualization solution on a Raspberry Pi. And the question was, is this an adequate solution for the manufacturer? And I think that. This is almost like a trap for the young players right in our industry where, yes, it's going to maybe save you some dollars on the hardware, but it's going to take you a lot longer to implement and it's going to be unmaintainable, right? So unless, again, speaking for the engineering side, unless you want to pigeonhole yourself into just being the only person that can support that system, I really wow. don't see a path of you developing something that is maintainable and Again, maybe I don't know his intentions. I don't know if he's trying to secure a job, but I really think that from the kind of the customer, the manufacturer point of view, that's not something you want to find yourself in. And unless, again, maybe you don't have the right knowledge or understanding of what that's going to look like, you should not be signing up to, uh, to such a platform.
1: You're spot on. And security... It's the posture that this this layout creates for security environment is just worse. We have seen somebody reverse tunneling inside Raspberry Pi from their home, and that data is connected to their yep. like machines and CNC systems. I was please do consider what you're doing is creating bi-directional tunnel to your plant floor from your home. Mm-hmm. Again, even if it's secure, even if it's encrypted, even if it's like even if there is a complete certificate-based authentication authorization exists. It's still not the wise thing to do. Uh, Once again, ignoring security in favor of lower cost solution is never going to scale. Mm -hmm. Even if it scales, it will be unmaintainable.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's with good intention, right? Like ultimately they're trying to provide value, but it's not having the right information at hand that drives some of these solutions.
0: Dave? I was going to say, if you guys have missed, I don't know, a middle 30 to 50 episodes on Manufacturing Hub, it was a lot of Vlad and I arguing as to if Raspberry Pis were, were production ready. Vlad, Vlad is, has very much the engineering concept as you guys have heard. I am very much the no. Right, if I were going to go argue with internet strangers, my answer to that question would just be a no and uh, we would move on from there or we wouldn't move on from there, but that's why I typically don't argue with internet strangers on Reddit because uh, no one ever wins. <laughs> having talked about arguing with internet strangers, we've been, I've been having a series of very interesting conversations around digital twin. Vot's brought up digital twin. We are going to be demonstrating digital twin at Hanover and we're going to talk about that, but first we have some people to thank. So we would like to thank Litmus for sponsoring this theme, as well as this show and having Vatsal come on here. With Litmus, everyone can work from a single source of truth to improve efficiency, drive profitability, scale securely when it comes to industrial data. Real-time connectivity, normalization, contextualization, and analysis at the edge come together in one platform to help IT, OT, and enterprises do more with their data. More than 250 drivers connect to legacy and modern industrial systems in minutes, ready KPIs and analytics, digital twin and machine learning models, and integration to cloud available out of the box. If you guys are going to Hanover Messe in 2023, join me, Vatzal, and Litmus to experience real results within reach. We're going to do daily live builds. We've got demonstrations and activities to help make IoT more accessible. Join us at Hall 17, Stand F18 for that and we hope to see everyone soon
2: awesome and i will probably Perfect. join remotely on some of those streams
0: v- vlad will join remotely he is he is excited to make it out to the mean streets of trade shows later this year if you guys have missed vlad is 100 percent committed on the internet to go to automate and we all know that people the thing everything people say on the internet is 100 percent true <laughs> so if you're not going to be at Hanover, if you're more North American centric, please come join us at Automate for that show. let uh, that's all. Having said that, we've got a bunch of great content coming out. I want to get maybe a couple of minute segment of kind of your thoughts of Hanover because you've been there before. Maybe we've got some viewers and listeners who have not been to Hanover. So can we get your kind of overview and maybe your best tips and tricks, and then we can get into Digital Twin a little bit, please? Yeah.
1: So... About Hanover, I think one of the, one of the best shows that you will go to it's like for industrial world itself, we have seen it changing from just very mechanical or asset centric show to more digital show over the last few years. So a lot of software vendors, a lot of talks about the modern PLM systems, a lot of talks about digital twins, a lot of talks about this industrial data ops and more. So yes, it has changed like you, you're going to be dead tired after I bet you Wednesday? Oh, absolutely. We'll have to pull you out of bed on Thursday morning. That's <laughs> that's gonna be like, it's gonna be that hectic, but it, it should be a really fun show. And um, th- th- there are a lot of smart people lo- opening up a lot of different thought process and their innovations and their ideas, and it's just fantastic. The more we talk, it's better. And at use, yep. it should be fun as well, because we are doing this live build for the first time, as Dave said, like, we are really recording things live while we are building the use case, In know, again, we are confident or overconfident and we don't know <laughs> if, if network if, if we don't know if network is going to work, but we hope we are going to figure everything out. But it, it should be a fun challenge for ourselves. We'll see.
0: Absolutely. It should be good. I will again say to those live builds and some of the demos, we will do our very best to stream from the show to keep everyone up to date. A little bit of live shows and doing potentially live shows at live shows is that question as to what does internet connectivity and stability look like? In theory, we should have more than enough to be able to stream out. In reality, we will see, which is what I've learned about every trade show that I've ever been to. I will say in addition to that tune into this channel and I think the litmus channel, we will have daily recaps coming out as to what that's going to, as to what's happening. And that should be very fun. They're going to be super short. I think the concept is maybe 15 minutes max, as it comes to that, Chuck in the comments is saying to wear very comfortable shoes. I will say one of the favorite things about international trade shows for me, Vatsal, and I'll have to get your opinion on this is. Based upon what people wear, you can 100% tell where they come from, right? So our European brethren, they're going to be in dark suits. They're going to be in white shirts, probably with club ties. Yeah. If they have the company logo on something, there's about a 75% chance it is embroidered in white so you can barely see it yeah. on their shirt. And they, they will be prim and proper. The Americans, that will include me this time, we we look like what we look like. Yeah. like we will... You will almost certainly be able to tell us if only because we are wearing comfortable shoes and sneakers. I've decided to go the very American route of wearing very bright sneakers. And I think I'll have bright shirts for people to, to see me on. But th- that that is one of my favorite parts of going to trade shows.
1: Now, well, sure. How to be true to ourselves. So whatever is comfortable, that works very well. But show is going to be fantastic. And we have a very nice we are on multiple different boots with partners as well. And the first booth is also there. So Should be fun, we'll see.
0: Absolutely. No, I think it should be fun. Can we transition a bit into digital twin? I know that you mentioned you guys are building digital twin to allow people to use your tools better. And as I said, I've had some rousing conversations as to what digital twin is, right? Does digital twin have to include every bit and bite? Can we simulate lines and get to 80 or 90%? Is that digital twin? That That, that is one of my most interesting conversations we've been having because just like everything in this industry, none of us can agree on it. Can you give us maybe a bit of an overview as to what the Litmus Digital Twin looks like and how you guys are able to go create that.
1: Yep. I would say for Digital Twins, we divided our, our product management team and the engineering team, we divided into three key three key areas. The first one for Digital Twin in our definition is more about data itself. How do you send data about an asset or about, about a specific use case? A digital Twin can be energy monitoring for CNC machine, or digital twin can be CNC machine itself. So how do you represent that data? Is the first organizing that data, contextualizing that data is the first piece of digital twin. Um, the second one is visualization of those digital twins, which is more 3d modeling integrated with PLM CAD cam. You represent that in augmented reality use cases. You represent that in the further advanced use cases where 3d simulations, which are involved. And the last piece of digital twin in our definition is the real simulation where if you manipulate a variable, how does it, can you simulate how that asset is going to behave if you change the specific variable workflows? One of our, one of our large oil and gas customer, they created like a digital twin of a specific, specific asset inside, inside the refinery. They, their use case was very simple. If viscosity of, of input material changes how does it behave on the furnace on the other side that was that that, that mm-hmm. was that specific use case so they hired a lot of people they simulated in a very mathematical or physical environment by using the by using those tools as well and they created a simulation which was which was utilizing real data and which was utilizing step 2 which is more 3d representation of that data itself so it's a triangle in our opinion you need to have data you need to have a three D representation or representation itself, and you need to have a simulation capabilities. If you combine all of them, it's the most feature complete digital twin that exists right now. For us, we do one and a half out of it, not even two. <laughs> like we we started with asset framework and asset models itself, start creating a, a like a very smart asset model which has raw data hierarchy, which is ISN ninety five have some machine learning model attached with that some analytical system some analyzed data so our digital twin is the definition itself it has a lot of different variables that we started attaching which became a smart digital twin asset model then we start deploying that that is also covered as a part of the product so we are the source of the data so all the plc all the asset information we already collected it now we are just organizing that data in a a very asset framework environment that's first piece that we did The second one that we did was, rather than building our own 3D visualization, we integrated with various vendors who have those visualization built out. There are two two cloud vendors that they have it already, and then there are a couple of other open source and closed source platforms available, where we push that data to in an organized format so they can allow customers to interact with that data in, in a 3D or PLM environment. And the third one, not a lot of companies, they exist in that environment just yet for simulation because they are very purpose-built. Soft PLC companies and like some other mathematical simulations or physical simulation companies, they are getting advanced in that for general purpose simulation of asset data. So we are partnering up with them. We are integrating with them on a day-by-day basis. And all of these three things combined, it does create a very solid digital twin framework for the customers. We are not there yet, customers, they are not there yet, unless they're very specific to their use cases. But over next one to two years, I think the things will match up.
2: I'm curious if I could maybe ask for a description slash like teaser of what we can expect to see at Hanover Messi. Is that going to be a 3D representation? Is that going to be data? What can someone visiting the booth or maybe tuning in remotely expect of the demo? I'm really curious you
1: you want to say or I'll go for it?
0: Oh, please. I know what the live builds are going to look like. I'm not 100% sure as to what the digital twin representations are going to look like. But let's tell if you want to go walk through what that would look like, and then I can go give a little bit of a teaser as to, to what some of the live builds will look like. We can absolutely talk through that.
1: Sure. In, inside the for us, we planned, I know what i in, in a different segments. The first one, our existing customers or new customers, we have a, like a various demonstrations, various play environment or sign up for our central portal environment. We are going to have all the human interactions that we are doing on one side. (laughs) And second side, which is more live build or a live demo environments that will go throughout the day. So there is a small theater and everybody's allowed to participate. Like it's very interactive sessions that we are going to do. We are going to build three different use cases right now. Those are generic and we are going to connect to the control systems or simulate them. We are going to derive the KPIs, you're going to do the visualization, everything in a very live build environment. The idea would be if you replicate it on a real plant floor, it will look 100 percent identical. Mm-hmm. If there is an energy specific use case, you develop it there at Hanover Messe in that live build environment, you take it home, download the template, and it will 100 percent work in your own factory environment. So That live build is very interactive concept, Again, we are trying it for the first time. So give us some rope and guide us if we are making some mistakes, but the idea would be we want to really represent how to use the product to get the ROI
2: out of the product. Awesome. I think that's really great. Yep.
0: And if I may dig into that a little bit longer, so if you guys are going to be live, all of these will be in whatever time zone Hanover, Germany is. I think it's central European time, right? We will have at least four live from Hanover's. I think we're currently scheduled at about 5.30 central time. So basically the end of the show will go live. I think current plan is from the litmus booth every single time, at least Monday through Thursday. We'll see what time Friday works with. As Vatsal, I think, has mentioned that, that Friday is less busy and excited as Monday through Thursday. Because they're gonna to have to peel everyone out of bed by friday morning to, to show up on time so we will have lives monday through thursday at 5 30 local time plus on friday at some point we will have a live there as well at 11 o'clock and two o'clock tentatively we are scheduled to have live builds in the booth i think our goal is to bring four of those to the Manufacturing Hub audience live over the course of that. We've got some interesting builds. We've got some asset monitoring. We've got some predictive maintenance. We've got some process and quality control. And I think we're working on a scalability live show. So that is going to be very interesting to see how we showcase that. I know Vatsal has got some really interesting whiteboarding, or I think the board is going to be black, so maybe we'll call it blackboarding. Mm -hmm. He's going to do on that, that we will certainly try to get at least capture at least a couple of those to bring those live to everyone as we go through that so 11 and 2 o'clock every day at the booth and then thursday at four o'clock local time we will have a manufacturing hub live from the litmus booth and then i think Vatsal is going to be on and i think we're going to bring a a couple of other people on and it's going to be kind of a panel roundtable discussion both on creating high impact solutions as well as maybe some of the takeaways that we have from f- from Hanover and again if you guys are going to be there please come and say hi we've got a lot a lot of other content items that it is our goal in order to go to be able to create we've got a lot of things that we will do our best to share during the week on socials but we will absolutely probably have months of content that will come on after that so be sure to chat tune in dick all of our channels the manufacturing up channel is really good also the litmus channel and we will go ahead and have those links to, to the litmus channels in there and then as we get Get closer we will have exact channels that everything is going to go live on so you guys if you are not there c- can absolutely go and stay tuned i will also say and everyone should be scared just as what's has been talking i've got a list of three or four other pieces of content that, that we're going to have to create i'm just going to shove a camera in front of his face and i'm going to start asking him questions mm-hmm. and one um, should absolutely be worried yes everyone should absolutely be worried about that
1: yeah like it's going to be exciting looking forward to it. yes
2: Bringing us, absolutely. If I can bring us back to data solutions for just a moment, I think we hit a very interesting point before the ad read, which is that in many instances, the end users or the customers aren't always aware of how to implement these solutions properly. And my question for you, Vatsal, is what is the strategy for educating the end users? So I think that the technology is certainly there. But I still think that there's a gap in our industry of, number one, like what's possible, then what it takes and what sort of like opportunities it will provide once it gets there. So I, I'm curious on your thoughts, what you're, you've seen in terms of gaps of, of knowledge and what you're trying to do to address that and your strategy on that side.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think technology is there. Like our product market fit and the same goes for many other industrial companies is very high. That means if customers are looking for a product, the products do exist. The main challenge here, there are two key challenges. One is change management. This is one of the very heavy subject that that happens, which is manufacturing companies, they exist to build uh, like whatever they're manufacturing. They are manufacturing shampoo bottles or they are manufacturing cars or they are manufacturing like books, whatever they are manufacturing. Like they, they exist to manufacture that. Doing digitization up until this point is always a second priority for them. So, there is a change management involved without affecting their day by day operations. And that, is, in my opinion, is a very, like we have to tread very lightly in a non disruptive and non destructive way, yeah. introduce a technology which can help them in a short term as well as in the long term. So, change management is one. And second, one, the skill set has to grow. That there are a lot of, lot of team members that we work with. They want to learn. They want to, the operational technology team members, they are ready to go to cloud. They, they want to really understand how SQL Server works or how this serverless infrastructure works. Like companies are really enabling or they have to enable them to explore further. Transform their skill sets from just manufacturing operations or maintenance into even something further, which is digitization of those assets itself. So those two things which are influencing the technology adoption. And this is, in my opinion, is something that has to be taken care of as a more on a people operation side, rather than on a technology adoption side. And, and that's just my view of it. And it just, there's so much noise in the market created by so many different vendors that technology is going to help them on their next billion dollar. That's never the case. Technology plus people plus the change done in a correct way will help them achieve their next, next business milestone.
2: And it's interesting. I certainly see our industry change, right? Like from that standpoint, but again, I don't know if it's like more different college programs. I don't know if it's going to be the customers that start to drive more of that change. I, again, I don't have the answer, but I certainly Mm -hmm. see a lot of like gap there. And again, it's almost like a cliche saying that we've always done it this way, but I think there's many, like you can break that down into what items are having them say that right it's not as black or white as just saying we've always done it this way there's many steps and educating let's say your management teams educating your like operators on how to use the tools and then not introducing everything at once right because people just get overwhelmed and i think that's just the natural progress of things then there's the skill gap right as you've mentioned they're excited to learn but at the same time they cannot just learn everything at once they need to hire the right people they need to make sure that the program is correct, right? It's because at the end of the day, I think when you describe the stack and as we have these conversations, I think it's easy to deploy, but it takes a lot of very, how to say like complex problem solving and engineering skills to make sure it seamlessly comes together, right? So there's a lot to it at the end of the day. So we should certainly appreciate that as a community. And I think manufacturers are starting to hire like more experienced, more knowledgeable people, like on the cloud side, on the IT side, on the network side. And I think slowly, but surely it's changing, yeah. but it's slow
1: I know for sure. And I think it's just but the idea would be there is enough knowledge and like available, let's say there are enough knowledge sources out there and cloud is cloud companies and data companies are doing fantastic job in educating the market on what to do with the data. That might be machine learning or the modern artificial intelligence, which is opening up, or a whole lot of different things which are opening up. They are educating people that there is more to do with the data than just seeing it on a SCADA screen like that. And then subject matter expertise from specific people that, okay, if I do this by using this tool, I might be able to revolutionize our plant floor, (laughs) or I might be able to change this cumbersome process that I have. It just, it has to be driven by people to solve a real challenge for a short term or a longer term. Again, long term did not yield results right away, but they put mm-hmm. you in a better position as a company, competitive position, as well as a future ready position three years later, two years later. So you have to invest on it right now. And that's, that's what we have been saying again and again. It's- a- Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think the change management is hard. Anyone that knows the work that that I do with end users, as opposed to all of the fun stuff that we get to talk about on here knows that change management is a necessary part of what we do. And as we look at executing opportunities, as we look at taking solutions that that many times have been in theory delivered, but we've never actually rolled them out to the plant floor, change management is absolutely the hardest part, but a part that we have to get better at doing and rolling out and being able to leverage SOPs and just general procedures and hiring the right people and making sure that they're trained and accountable for, which is absolutely the least sexy side of this industry. But if we don't have that, we're never able to actually leverage a, a platform like Litmus. in in reality, literally any platform that anyone ever wants to go use. If we don't use it, it's just software sitting in VMs or software living in the cloud that maybe someday someone will look at the data. Yeah, it's exactly, It, it has
1: to be planned out, but we're saying enough in the market we have large amount of fortune 500 customers we have large amount of uh, mid to large size customers where they have 10 plants to 50 plants mm-hmm. they are always aiming to go one step further how are they going to do mm-hmm. that they are investing in these data teams they are investing mm-hmm. in this yes. industry 4.0 teams which is helping them reduce their drag reduce their like asset burn downs or maintenance schedules mm-hmm. or the small small fires that that are, we have to put it out every single day they are using technology to avoid it so they can focus on creating next plant rather than keep on fixing one plant before. We have we have large amount of customers who are on that 10 to 50 plants region, and all they are doing is using technology to solve a challenge that they don't want to solve it by
0: investing more
1: human beings.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I agree with this. And I think that this is a good transition to go ask you, wh- what is the future? But so you listen to the show, you know that I always love to get future predictions. It's one of my favorite questions to ask because it could go in so many directions. But from your perspective, are we going to leverage technology so that we don't have to attempt to hire more humans that we can't find? Are we going to continue to build out digital twins? Are more people be going to, are more end users going to become data literate? What do you imagine the future looks like?
1: Like in in knowing from customers or discussing from customers on a various levels, humans getting replaced is a very low chance, unless the, uh, unless the things that they are doing, they are extremely repetitive and robotic. Uh, They will never get replaced. Plant floor, it has accumulated knowledge of last 10 years, 15 years. AI algorithms, they can't just come and replace like a human being and do something else, but there are certain things like supply chain planning or delivery scheduling, or like a specific compliance report that you have to prepare, which is more robotic, those specific items, they will be augmented by modern systems, which are driven by artificial intelligence and everything else that we are seeing in the market right now. And there is a very high chance for it over the next five to 10 years. In a shorter term, we are seeing a continuous push where like even a small manufacturer, mid mid-size manufacturer mm-hmm. want to solve a specific challenge and they have enough awareness that if we collect the data and if they visualize it, they might be able to solve it. Like right now from early adopters to large size early adapters. Now it is going into more mid market segment as well, Mm -hmm. where more and more companies are adapting digital technologies to, to solve their business challenges. As long as they have IT teams, as long as they have data teams, they are all jumping on it left and right and much faster than fortune 500 companies, much, much faster. We are seeing six months projects, they are automatically getting converted into a quarter long projects and quarter long projects, mm-hmm. they are becoming a month long project. So that, that mm-hmm. for mid mid-size corporation, it just, they don't have legal or any other issues in between. They just want to go ahead and get start improving the project. So in a short term, much wider adoption, which goes into mid market to little bit larger corporations, it's going to keep on being there. Technology, anybody who has a vaporware, they are going to get out of this market sooner or later. We are replacing a bunch of legacy systems. So legacy repurposed systems, they are also going to get out very soon. A lot of SCADA companies, they are trying to retune their message towards industrial IoT platform. And believe me, we are doing everything we can to not let them do that. (laughs) It's just uh, like we we are educating customers. We are telling that Windows-based legacy systems, they are not the best way to implement your next generation of infrastructure. You can't maintain them. You can't secure them. There is general awareness in the market, what is security layout looks like and what they should be doing. So in short term, again, a lot of those things we are, which is going to help in a wider reduction. Long term, I'm all in for artificial intelligence. Like There are a bunch of use cases that we are seeing. Nothing concrete yet and nothing business critical yet, but it's getting there. The systems are getting smarter every day.
0: Oh, fantastic. I think that those are some amazing predictions. I hope that at least half of them come true and continue to come true because that will be good for all of us and all of us in this industry. So thank you for that. That's all. the next question I like to ask everyone, and and I'm sure is for a book and or content recommendation. And I think when I asked you this question, you're like, I have a number of each. Would you mind giving us a book recommendation? And then if you've got some other pieces of content recommendation, we always, we always appreciate those
1: so the book that i'm reading right now is by robert eager disney's Eger. ceo the ride of a lifetime one of the one of the fantastic book that i have read it's that's currently ongoing i'm like 75 percent there in, in finishing it up so that's one of the books that i really like the recent one a couple of weeks ago i was on a high growth framework which is by elad gill that's also one of the very nice book mainly for companies who are scaling up from like just getting started to the next big milestone that they want to achieve, there are enough successful stories there. So both of those books, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. One of them is very business specific. One other one is just startup or like how those frameworks, they are created specific. Content itself, surprisingly, I have subscribed to 10 different sub stacks now. Like seven of them, they are related to aggregation of artificial intelligence, as well as the things of business in general, which are going on. They send me one newsletter every day, but there there are a lot of new media and content creators, which are there right now, and they are doing a fantastic job in aggregating a whole lot of content, putting their own spin towards that message itself, and then making it available to subscribers like us, which is the idea would be. I'm like, I'm just, I don't have enough time in, in my day to, to catch up with all of
0: them, but at least I'm subscribed now. Okay. I love that. I think all of those are fantastic. Thank you for that. So everyone knows that the next question i like to ask is some career advice. So Vatsal, perhaps we can put a different spin on this. So we'd love some advice. We'd love some career advice, maybe for someone who is where you were 10 years ago, considering building what has now become litmus. Do you have some good advice? for those people early to mid-career saying, hey, I can build something better or have a new novel idea, other than coming to work for litmus, because uh-huh. you guys are obviously the best, what would be your best piece of career advice? I think uh, when you're
1: building something for the first time, it's just incredibly difficult. It's, applaud all the startups, founders out there who are, who are starting something in for the first time. But on the top of it, if you are starting in the industrial world, it's even further difficult because the industry is ruled by large companies or large distributors large system integrators large vendors itself so uh, to to make some make your mark that you have to persevere through it this is there, there are going to be lots of downs before there is one up and it's, if you are building something in industrial world if you have a novel idea do try it out the industry is primed for innovation it's ready to adapt to new vendors if they are ready to try out new things it will just take a little bit longer than you anticipate. So you do have to put hard work, smart work and persevere out of it. It just, my advice, I like how I started again, from where we are right now, a lot of smart people joined us much smarter than me while building this company and we jointly grew together. So it's just, we have to persevere. We are in for a long run rather than it's not going to be a quick success in industrial or a world where critical ecosystem relies on you.
0: So thank you for that. I think that's an amazing message that a number of us probably needed to hear. And maybe we'll go clip that and just replay it every morning (laughs) for the alarm clock. Because absolutely it is difficult is especially difficult in this industry. But once you find product market fit to, to your point, Vatsal sky is the limit. So thank you for that. The last question I'd like to ask everyone who should reach out, how can our community help you and what you're doing. Are you guys hiring other than coming to visit us at Hanover and the other trade shows Litmus is going to be, are you guys looking for new customers? Kind of an open platform for you, an open platform for you. Yeah. If anybody want, if anybody would like to try our product, go to
1: central.litmus.io. This is the public website. Sign up, deploy your sandbox environment or download the version of our product right now. That's we are available. We are open. We are transparent hundred percent there. How do we? How do you approach us? Feel free to explore on ritmos website. There are a lot of resources available, or we are happy to walk you through anything that you are looking for. That's on the second one. We are hiring across the board, anywhere from engineering to data science teams, all the way to solutions architect and customer facing teams, customer success and application and environment teams as well. So yes, we are growing, and we are very much looking for smart people. We are very much looking for young talent experienced talent, anywhere, anybody in between, we are hiring all across the board. So please do apply. And if you have, if you cannot apply for the position, just send us message directly, and we are going to get in touch with you as soon as we can. And of course, we are always looking for more customers to join with us in our journey, so happy to discuss, join the first call. If you come out of this specific session, I'll be there.
0: Ooh,
1: okay. That's the for the first session I'll join you.
0: That is a very interesting, that is a very interesting offer. Thank you so much. Thank you for, so much for that Vatsal. Yeah. Either it will be a good offer for a couple of people or you will come to regret that offer. Yeah, upon I, I, I people know. Are Like, hey, but, <laughs> I, I like, to live with that. <laughs> yes. But no, so f- thank you, lots all. Thank you, everyone, for coming and joining us at this slightly earlier time. I would like to say that if you guys like this time, if it works for you, please go ahead and drop us a message. We always like to hear different comments about different times as we continue to trial it out. Being a live show, as everyone who watches us live knows, sometimes noon is great, sometimes 4 o'clock is great, but there's at least 40 to 75% of our audience that cannot make it at any given time. P- please let us know. I would say again, thank you to Litmus. If you guys are gonna be at Hanover MESA 2023, come visit Litmus, come visit myself. We again are in hall 17, booth F-18. We are right next to Google. So I would say you couldn't miss us, but I think it's so huge. You probably could miss us. There's an app go star litmus on the app and come visit us at some point. Absolutely important that that should be a lot of fun. If you guys are watching live, please remember to hit that like button. Please go hit subscribe onto the Solus PLC YouTube channel. Please and follow manufacturing hub network. We are almost 2000 subscribers on YouTube, which is pretty awesome. Mostly because we, we never remember to ask anyone to subscribe to that. If you guys are watching uh LinkedIn, myself and Vlad. All of our LinkedIn are on the events themselves. You guys can please feel free to connect with us. Go to central.litmus.io to go test a as of yet completely open demo that that you guys can go on. Again, either we're going to be lauded for getting some early users or going to get yelled at shortly after this, that's all. But that is the fun of a live show. Mm -hmm. And if you guys have made it all the way to the end, listening on podcast form, please hit that. Please hit that. Please rate us five stars and follow along. It helps the algorithm. And I've learned if I remember to ask you guys, remember to do it. Until next time, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, everyone.
2: Thank you, everyone.